Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast. I am in the hosting chair today, Will Gottlieb here with my good mate, Mark Kay down in Australia. We got some big news today. It was probably like very middle of the night for you, but pretty earth shattering stuff. I know we joke about me uh, announcing breaking news live on podcasts and it being Kevin Herter trades, but this is Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> getting traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavs just cashing in uh, after their Rudy Gobert trade now, getting even more picks, even more draft capital, and are just all the way tanking now for Victor Wembanyama. And it's just a totally new Eastern Conference. It's wild. I think there are some huge ramifications, obviously, for the Bulls. But first... uh, Mark, how you doing? And and what's your initial take on the Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland Cavaliers trade? Well, look, just to give us, um, the listeners some background perspective, as you noted there, William, um, I did find out a little bit later than everyone else, just due to time zones and me being asleep when it naturally occurred. But um, the way I actually found out about that this occurred was um, waking up whenever I woke up this morning. And my son woke me up actually at 6.45. And then I checked Twitter at the same time. Saw a DM from you saying, we've got to talk to Donovan trade. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? We had our rundown <laughs> planned in terms of what we were going to talk about today, which was, I don't know, some some general bulls nonsense. But then I see your DM. I'm like, oh, what, what does he mean by Donovan trade? Like, did, did the bulls trade Billy Donovan or something? And I was like, oh, wait, maybe it's uh, maybe it's Donovan Mitchell. So then I headed over to uh, oldtwitter.com, checked Woj's, Woj's feed, and there it was. And uh, yeah unexpected in some senses because I just assumed it was a foregone conclusion that that uh, he would be heading to the Knicks and I'm surprised ultimately that maybe that didn't happen like it still could have happened even post the the, the RJ Barrett stuff um, maybe they really wanted RJ Barrett uh, in addition to all those picks and and, and whatnot and seemingly they, they got that from the Cavs in the sense that they got three un- unprotected first picks as well as some players I suppose in Colin Sexton in the sign and trade, as well as our old friend Larry Markman, um and, and OJ Ogbaji as well. So in the end, ultimately, Utah got a lot for Mitchell, probably more than what I thought they were going to get. Um, so three unprotected, unprotected first-round picks, two pick swaps, plus those players that I mentioned before. Um, yeah, that's a lot. They got a lot for Donovan Mitchell. It's so a lot. So, really- yeah, the picks are... 
the yeah. picks they cannot trade out their 2023 pick because they owe that in mm-hmm. the Karis Levert trade from this yeah. past season. Obviously, uh, the protections they fell into they fell out of the playoffs and into the lottery, so they kept that pick and drafted Akbaji. And so they'll send him along with Markinen, Sexton, and their 2025, 2027, and 2029 first round picks, all unprotected, as well as pick swaps in 26 and 28. Um, this is a haul, and I don't want to talk about it just yet, but my initial reaction was like, oh man, every one of these trades that you just see all these picks and young players going back and forth just makes the Jimmy Butler trade look all the worse. <laughs> that was my first thought, and I, I hate to say it, but it was. And I think, you know, we can we can argue about the merits of that, and maybe we will one day, but um, I think the Jazz did pretty well. It seemed like the Knicks were kind of in the situation where it didn't really seem like anybody else was actively bidding against them. And so they've sitting on this mountain of draft picks that they were presumably going to use for Donovan being really firm. Uh, apparently it was like RJ Barrett quickly and two picks and they wouldn't move off of that because, you know, I guess they thought at some point they could just play hardball with Ainge and he would fold and hand over Donovan so that they could get this thing done before training camp. It didn't work out that way. The Cavs obviously push all of their chips in. And I think what we want to talk about here today is not only uh, what this means for the trade for both teams, not only what it means for now this Eastern Conference, which is even more loaded and deep than it has been, um, certainly than it was yesterday, but probably more than ever. And then uh, what it means for the Bulls in terms of their yeah. rebuilding. Uh, I shouldn't say rebuilding, but their their um, roster development and construction uh, moving forward the next couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you think of this from the Cavs perspective? Like, do you like going all in? You've got this core of Darius Garland, who I think is 22. Mobley is 20 and Jared Allen is 24. You got two all-stars and Evan Mobley, which is basically three all-star caliber players. Uh, Mobley is probably going to be a defensive player of the year at some point. Allen Mm. already really a defensive anchor um, at at an all-star level. And then Garland, who really broke out last year. Uh, Interesting fit for me, Garland and and Mitchell, but I think um, they really will just take so much pressure off each other. We kind of saw last year, the first half, the Cavs got out to this blazing hot start with Ricky Rubio handling a lot of the ball pressure and and letting Garland do his thing. And then when Rubio got hurt, everything fell into Garland and he handled it really well. But these late game scenarios we've seen time and time again, it's very difficult when you have one primary ball handler, one main scoring hub and he's six foot and there's really no other helps. They tried to get Levert. That didn't really work out. But now they're bringing in, obviously, another shorter guard, but somebody who's proven to do it in the playoffs at the highest level, um, who's young and fits their timeline, and who's under contract for several more years. Um, It's kind of a funky defensive fit, and they still are pretty small in the backcourt. But like when you now load up a team, and maybe Donovan Mitchell is like your fourth best player in the next two years, like that's kind of crazy. I feel like that is the move where, you know, we could talk about Gobert and DeJounte Murray and some of these other moves, but I feel like this is the move you make when you have that kind of core already in place in terms of Garland, Mobley, and Allen. Yeah, look, I mentioned at the top that that the uh, that the Cavs gave up a lot, and they did, most certainly did. But at the same time, like they are well positioned to give up a lot because their core is so young. 
so you you know Garland, Mobley, Allen. They, they these are young dudes that you presumably going to hopefully going to keep together for five years, if not ten years together. And similarly, Don, Donovan Mitchell's young himself. So in that sense, you have more flexibility or range in terms of giving up future picks because hopefully, or maybe not maybe not necessarily from a Bulls perspective, but if you're a Cavs fan, like hopefully in 2025, 27, and 29 when you're sending out these unprotected firsts, like that they're terrible picks because your team is still together, they're intact, and they're winning 50-plus, 55-plus games um, per season. So in that sense, it, it makes sense because in you know in 2025, like what, what's Darius Garland at that point, like 25 years of age? Jared Allen might be a little bit older. Like Evan Mobley's not even in his prime yet. In 2029, like these dudes will still be in their prime. So in that sense, it's very different for a team like the Cavs giving up future picks because this team should hopefully still be together. Whereas a team like the Bulls, for example, who have given away uh, their, their 2021 pick, their 23 pick, and their 25 pick potentially, we don't know what the Bulls will look like at that point because DeMar will be... 34, 35 years of age in, in 2025. Vooch will be a, of a similar age if he's even on the team going forward. And if neither of those guys are on the team, or perhaps if they are, like they'll be well past their prime at that point. So it's a different. It's just a different calculus for a team like the Bulls giving up future picks versus a team like the Cavs who had their core nucleus somewhat set, to be honest with you. But then to go out and grab someone like Mitchell, who is a bona fide all-star, can add to what they've already started to build. The fact that he's part of that same timeline of the core, but the, the, the timeline of the picks that they've given up doesn't, well, may not hurt them in that sense. Like they just had more leverage in giving up those unprotected picks. So yeah, they gave up a lot, but it, it makes so much sense for them to give, give up a lot, maybe more so than any other team in the league. And you can't really talk about this without also mentioning the Gobert trade and putting into context their whole haul of picks and players that they got mm. um, through both trades. So let me just read off this list to you here. So yeah. Obviously, two players from this past draft, Agbaji and Walker Kessler. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I think, like the 14th or 13th and 21st yeah. yep. pick. Yep. Uh, three picks next year, uh, one from Minnesota, one from Houston, Philly, or Brooklyn, and then their own pick. Uh, so they'll have three next year. Three in 2025, Cleveland, Minnesota, their own. A pick swap with Cleveland or Minnesota in 2026. Three first and 27, a swap in 28, and three and 29. So, I mean, you mentioned this team growing together, the Cavs, and I think the, you know, you can throw the the Wolves in here too, but like 2029 is so far away. And like, you'd like to think those guys grow together. Maybe for the uh, Timberwolves, it's a little bit different because of Gobert's age. You know, he's already mm, yeah. hit the 30 mark, but like, I mean, do these guys want to stay in Cleveland? Like, they, this also requires that they, sign them to their next contracts and they just signed Garland. So he'll be around for, I think six Mm -hmm. years now is his current extension uh, plus the the last year of his deal. Mm -hmm. And that will take him to what is that? The 27 or 28 season. So there's still some potential there. Jar Allen's got four more years, if I'm not mistaken. He signed his five-year, one hundred and twenty odd million dollar deal, whatever it is, off the top of my head. Last off season, you've got Mobley now for three more seasons. Presumably, you will rookie extend him as well, so you will get his ne- him on in his next contract, which then leaves Donovan Mitchell, who I think has three years left on this on, on the remaining of um, end of his deal. I could be mistaken in that sense, but 
I don't know, if you're winning, you you would assume that you could convince Donovan in staying in that sense. Uh, obviously, nothing is set in stone. As you know, 2029 is, is years and years and years away. Who the hell knows what happens at that point? Maybe one, maybe one of these dudes gets injured next season and completely changes the calculus. But uh, we, we don't know the future, I suppose. We never will. But at some point, like you have to have you have you have to take a calculated risk, and I think that would just invest the best position to do that. And yes, things could change a million different ways from here and now. But uh, you know, it makes sense to me why the Cavs would make this swing. Uh, they're, they're trying to establish themselves as a team that can can win win a lot of basketball games post the Le- LeBron James era. To me, this just like this this just adds to that theory, I guess, or solidifies that path where they've now got four legitimate all-star level guys. I, I don't, I'm not sure if Jarrett Allen will ever make another all-star team, but I, I expect Darius Garland. And, he's an all-star uh, the way Vooch is an all-star. Yeah. I mean, actually like he, he's a more recent all-star. He is, which is interesting to say, but like n- nonetheless, like he's still a young player who's going to get you 15 and 12 every damn night. And then oh, Evan Mobley is someone who I could think, I, I don't know if he could, I was about to say MVP, but he, he could certainly be a defensive player of the year type player. Someone who can materially, change games in a way that so many play, other players can't in this league. So I don't know. I love what they've done, to be honest with you. Like, I would like to, for them to have that one more 3 and D wing, but that's just being picky at this point. But if they can get their hands on that type of player or if maybe Okora can, can, can develop, develop a jump shot or something like that, then, then this team is absolutely stacked. So, yeah, let's take a look at the roster here now uh, before we get into this from Utah's perspective. Um their basketball reference and ESPN pages are just an absolute mess right now as they get this sorted up. Uh, but you've got uh, Jared Allen in the front court along with Mobley, and they obviously ship out Markinen. So their their sort of third big is going to be Kevin Love. They've got him under contract for one more year. Um, they've got Karis Levert in on the wing, um, and then obviously Mobley. Uh, excuse me, Garland and um, Mitchell in the backcourt. Um, as I kind of scroll through this here and try to figure out who's left on the roster, um, just to kind of give you a sense of like their depth, they've still got Chetty Osman, Okoro, as you mentioned, Rubio, and then some of their fringe guys, you know, Dylan, Wind- Dylan Windler, Dean Wade, and our old friend Robin Lopez. Um, they obviously send out Sexton in this deal, which I think is interesting. Um he it did not seem like he was going to sign with them longer term. If anything, just play on his qualifying offer. But, you know, moving this over to the Jazz's side, like they signed him to a four year, $72 million uh, extension or contract. Um, they also obviously have Markinen now and just a boatload of picks. Like, obviously, they're tanking and they're going to be as bad as they want to be. But, like, look at this from, from the whole picks perspective, as we talked about with the Minnesota trade. Also, you know, a part of this, what do you think about their rebuild? I mean, it's obviously very presty and hinky esque, but like Mm. to me, and I want to save this for later, but like to me, this is how you do it. If you're going to dismantle your team and you're going to strip it all down to the studs, like you got to go all in. And um, the part that I want to save is like how this relates to the bulls rebuild. But like, I think they're just really doing it the right way. Obviously, I think it pigeonholes you a little bit in terms of asking price. Like, you're not always going to be able to get what you want because teams know they just are after picks. And like you said, I mean, maybe these picks aren't great, but they're giving themselves as many chances as they can possibly. Um, unfortunately, they've kind of like loaded up three one year, one the next. But I mean, just 
adding in the value of their own pick being bad and then, you know, potentially down the road, some of these picks being bad, not only are they in a position to get as much talent as they can through the draft, they're also going to be able to like start packaging picks for players as soon as they are ready to start competing. So we've seen this trend over obviously, you know, this past summer where uh, the Hawks did the same thing for DeJounte Murray and the Wolves did the same thing for Gobert. Um, these teams just like unloading the clip on three, you know, three years of draft picks out the door. And it's just become a very interesting landscape now where God, people like make jokes about it, but there's going to be a season where it's like only two or three teams are making all the, you know, top 10 picks. Yeah. And look, my immediate thought when, when all this went through from a jazz perspective, like my, my first thought is always through a bulls prism. Like how does this impact the bulls? But then I start to start to start to think about it for these other teams, but I mean, you mentioned the, the the deals that they made to offload Gobert and, and Mitchell, but like this is just this just the beginning for the Jazz. Like this all but confirms that you go ahead now and move Mike Conley and, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, I mean, they're probably going to do that anyway, but nonetheless, like their rebuild is going to continue in the sense that they're going to continue to accumulate assets. Like they they've already done that with Patrick Beverly. We, we can talk about. Uh, THT and, and whether he's actually an asset or not. But nonetheless, like he's a player to take a swing on. If you can move Mike Conley, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, this, this, who else did they acquire in the Minnesota deal? Uh, the, the gunner shooter, that name is escaping me off the top of my head at the moment. Like, Malik Beasley, made, they've got Malik Jordan Beasley. Clarkson. Yeah, exactly. They right. are, they're still, you know, pretty much loaded with like mid tier in terms of yeah. contract players that they can you know, potentially get first round picks for. Exactly. Like you, maybe you get a first, maybe you get a couple seconds, maybe you pair a couple of them. And, and if you don't get picks necessarily, maybe you get back some, some younger pieces that maybe you want to take a swing on like a, a Taylor Horton Tucker. But the point is now like they, and I completely agree with you. Like if you're going to bottom out, then do it properly and go complete bottom out. And in that sense, you know, get as many damn picks as you can get some okay younger pieces that maybe you want to take a swing on that, potentially could develop into into players for you long-term, or if not, maybe you, you try to develop them to the point where you can swing them for future picks. Like someone like Larry Markman, for example, we kind of know what he is at this point. Maybe he's someone that you want to keep around for your team, you know, your next iteration of good Chaz teams, or maybe he's someone that you try to have or, you know, build him into a good season, let him put up good numbers in the same way that Colin Sexton presumably will for their Jazz this season upcoming. And maybe you can flip those guys into, you know, future uh, first round picks as well. So, They've got a lot of options. They've got a lot of paths. Obviously, this this type of path is always with some sort of risks. Like it, it's nice to to amass all these millions of draft picks, but and ultimately you have to turn them into something. But you know, time will tell what that that, that equates to. But uh, in terms of if the if the calculus is having this man having this um, amount of picks versus not, then then obviously I'd, I'd much prefer to have this option than maybe having less picks and a couple more different options, like an RJ Barrett on my team or something like that. I'd much rather have all the picks than some mid-tier guys who will probably project to be good players, but ultimately won't be star-level guys that you really need. And that, I think, is the idea of you know a new... I don't remember exactly what Danny H's title is. I think it's like CEO. But when a new you know basketball operations department comes in and you've got somebody new in charge, you don't necessarily want to bring in you know, guys that another team drafted, you want to have a wipe a clean slate and mm. bring in your own guys. And so, yeah. you know, you mentioned not wanting RJ Barrett. I think that's perfectly fine. Like Barrett's Barrett's a fine player. I don't think the contract that he signed, I think it was like 100 yeah, or $120 million. Totally reasonable. 
Um, but not necessarily like the cornerstone of my franchise if I'm Mm. Danny Ainge. And so I totally get that. And I think from the perspective of the players that he did bring in, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's looking to rehabilitate value and then parlay these guys into picks down the line. And as I say, parlaying and making picks and swinging and gambling, I got to bring up points bet here. Points bet is counting down the days until football season. I know, Mark, you are too. And every day until September 8th, they will be putting on points bet power hour and unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 central time. So sign up for points bet now using promo code CHGO to get risk-free bets up to $2,000. You'll get daily access to free bets, boosted odds, and so much more through September 8th. And if you make a $51 or or more first-time deposit, you will also receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content written by yours truly and Mark. And we've got Adam Hogue and Nick Moriano on the Bears. Uh, That season, obviously, is kicking off soon. Tons of great Cubs, uh, Sox, and Blackhawks, and all of Chicago sports, as you know. Uh, Free content on all those teams and a free T-shirt from the CHGO locker. Download PointsBet today and use promo code CHGO to take advantage of that offer. Um, and as we, you know, look at offers and, um, you know, where things will stand, I'm curious now, Mark, to see where you think the Cavs sort of stock, stack up in the Eastern Conference now because, you know, we've we've talked about it all summer as not not a lot has gone on and we try to struggle to find topics of conversation of like breaking down some of these teams off seasons. And I was pretty critical of the Cavs before because I wasn't crazy about Agbaji. I think he's pretty limited player, a low ceiling. Um, I obviously don't think very highly of Markin, certainly not as a small forward and Sexton. I mean, basically wasn't on their team last year. So if you, if you think about it, they're basically flipping a middle of the pack first round pick who I wasn't crazy about. Plus, uh, a player that they didn't play at all last year and had zero part in their success. And Larry Markinen for Donovan Mitchell, obviously the picks are a part of that, but they certainly had a huge upgrade without really hitting their depth at all. Um, but you've still got a ton of like powerhouse teams in the East with the Celtics and the Bucks, um, the 76ers, the Heat, Raptors, obviously Bulls you want to throw in there. Where do you think the Cavs stack up now against some of those teams? Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll take it a, a step further by saying that they really only gave up Larry Markkinen from their rotation last season. Um, so in that sense, they've they've they've, they've replaced Larry Markkinen with Donovan Mitchell. Like Agbaji wasn't part of the rotation last year, obviously, for when he was in college. Uh, Sexton didn't really play at all last season. Obviously, the picks, as you noted. So it's really a one-for-one swap in that sense. So that dramatically improves the Cavs from, from my perspective. Like, it just does. And this was a team that was similarly to the Bulls, like were for the first half of the season at least, were way ahead of schedule or at least performing maybe above their heads in that sense. And similarly to the Bulls, injuries caught up with them and ultimately they they started sliding and the Bulls slipped from first to sixth and the Cavs, you know, probably took a, a, a deeper dive when the where they fall fell into the play in and, and ultimately missed the playoffs. So from that point of view, like it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But like this, their top eight or top nine man rotation is is really strong. So I, I would I would imagine that they still remain in that same grouping of teams battling it out for that fourth and fifth slot. But 
what they've done from from my perspective is where they were sort of challenging or where they were in contention with like your Atlantas, Chicago's, um, those types of teams. I, I kind of feel like they've gone past those teams and really put themselves in a position where they could really be legitimately competing for that fourth seed in the East with Miami, Brooklyn, and maybe Toronto. So in, in, in that sense, like what they've done is they've they've vaulted themselves up that up up into that second group or ahead of the others in that second group. Like I, I still think they're behind Milwaukee, Boston, and um, and Philadelphia. But thereafter, like they've got a legitimate shot at four, maybe as good a chance as the fourth seed as as, as anyone else. Like I, I would assume Miami still has maybe the best chance of that, given that they're a, a more developed and defined and matured roster at this point. But the, the, the Heat didn't do anything in the offseason. If anything, they lost pieces. Jimmy's a year older. Kyle Lowry's a year older. Like, th- th- there's, a, there's a real chance that the Caps get into that fourth seed. Um, and who the hell knows what would, who the hell knows what, what would happen with Brooklyn? Like, if, if that just falls off off a cliff, which it potentially could, like, the Cavs have a real chance to be a, a home court advantage team in the, in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, this just this has really just lifted their floor in my perspective. But at the same time, like it's it's obviously raised their ceiling. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to point out too that like a lot of the time when these trades are made, it's like, well, the the Wolves just like pushed all their chips in for Gobert. Are they even a top four team in the East now? Like, does he really improve them that much? We had the same conversation when the Hawks traded for Dejounte Murray. Like, are they now a home court advantage team? And I think you know there's different um, motives for each of these teams when they're making moves like this. But I think we kind of hit on it before the fact that all these guys are so young, like it doesn't necessarily matter if they win this year. I don't think they will, but like they just have a chance to get better and better each year in a way that even, you know, I I really wanted the bulls to trade for Gobert, um, And I think he would have made the team better right away. But like, you know, the, the Jazz, I think their window to win is a little bit smaller. And the timeline there is a little bit more weird because you have Anthony Edwards, who's 21, and Cat, who's 25. And then you bring in a 30-year-old, and it's clearly a win-now move. Uh, with the Hawks, it's on the same timeline. But obviously, I don't think you know adding DeJounte Murray to that core moves the needle as much as uh, moving you know Donovan Mitchell to Darius Garland and Mobley. So I, I think there's a big difference in the way that they've done this. And it does kind of, to me, feel like a one up in, you know, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is like a better player than even Rudy Gobert necessarily, but I think the way that they've done it timeline wise, resource wise, I think makes a lot of sense for them. So yes, to your point, I think, you know, top four would be pretty much like capping it out unless Mobley takes like a huge leap and just synergistically everything pops more than, you might even imagine, but I think it's like the longer term play. And that's, I think why they were comfortable giving up so many unprotected picks is just that it doesn't seem like one, they are going to necessarily need to compete this year. And two, that they, you know, will be able to just get better and better to the point where they can do that down the line. So um, they've still got a ton of cap flexibility, like Kevin loves coming off the books next year. Mm -hmm. They'll be able Mm -hmm. to add guys, not obviously through trading draft picks, but um, you know, free agency, I can't imagine why some, you know, three and D small forward wouldn't want to come in yeah. and play next to, you know, Garland and Mitchell uh, mm-hmm. with two like absolute defensive anchors behind them. So they yeah. do have a really nice window here, uh, not just this year, but I think like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years down the line. Yeah, look, I mean, 
completely agree with everything you've said, but if we're just focusing on on, on this season, like we, we, we've talked about their top four, you can throw a Coro in as their starting small forward going forward, but like their bench unit is just solid. Like Ricky Rubio won't be back straight away. They'll have Roll Neto sort of filling in as a backup point guard if you really need a backup point guard because maybe you can just sort of split Garland and Mitchell's minutes at that point where, you know, ultimately one of them is on the court at the same time. That is your point guard. But nonetheless, like when Rubio gets back, you've got a really good point guard, a backup point guard. You still got Karis Levert to be effectively... I mean, maybe he is your starting small forward initially, but if he's not, then he's coming off the bench and can be a bench gunner type. Kevin Love had a fantastic season last season. If he can replicate that as a, as your backup big, and then you have Chetty Osman as your backup wing who can play three, play play four, whatever the situation may be. Like That's nine guys that they've got that they can lean on that is a really good rotation. So... I don't know. Like to me, that this this is just just a home run trade for the Cavs, and I I keep saying it, but like it, it ticks all the boxes for now. You mentioned, you know, the the future and what this means more generally, but even in the next off season, they're still cap flexible, as you noted. So yeah, just really this this really does uh, tick all the boxes for the Cavs, and they've just legitimized themselves as a as a, as a team that can really jump into that four or five range and. You know that was always possible, depending on how things broke. In in the same way that it was it was possible for the Bulls and and the Hawks and the Raptors and and the Nets. To be fair, like these teams, it kind of feels like they're all on somewhat level playing field. But it just kind of it was going to kind of come down to injuries or uh, fit or you know how the team sort of gelled and, and the the chemistry of those teams during the season. But now, like obviously, that is still all true and still all a factor. But it kind of feels like the Cavs have just sort of proofed themselves a little bit more in that regard than maybe what some of these other teams have. They've, they've raised this, their, their floor in that sense. So I don't know, Will. I'm kind of fearful of, of as to how this means or what this means for the Bulls and what this means in the East more generally. Like we, we started this, this conversation with the fact that the, the East was, was better last season than it's ever been. It's better now than it was last season. Like the Bulls are, are, are a good team, potentially a really good team, a team that could win... 45 games pretty easily um but now like is that enough like i i don't know where that puts them in the east least landscape at the moment because we, we rattled off milwaukee boston and philadelphia being the top three teams we know what brooklyn potentially could do if healthy uh we've talked extensively about the Cavs, but like toronto were better than the bulls last season uh, Atlanta presumably got better as well they're not necessarily done dealing themselves either they can continue to improve I, don't, I mean, like, are, are the Bulls, are, are they a lock to be a top six seed in, in the East next season? Which is probably not the case, which is concerning on uh, some other fronts, which we can get on in a little bit more detail later on in terms of their, their, their future unprotected picks or not necessarily unprotected, but future picks they owe. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what does this mean, mean for the Bulls more generally? Because, as I said before, like, I view every trade or every transaction or any bit of news that happens in the league, whether it's Bulls connected or not, I would always look at it from a Bulls perspective. That's just the way I am as a Bulls fan, and I'm sure that's the case for everyone listening in. So, I mean, we've talked about this from a Cavs point of view, Jazz point of view, et cetera, what it means for the East, but what does it mean for the Bulls? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. You kind of mentioned that, you know, five or six through nine tier in the east which i think maybe it's closer to six because i think brooklyn and and maybe miami are still in that four five arena but i think the raptors hawks bulls and Cavs are all kind of in that same zone of like any of them could be the sixth seed any of them could be you know miss 
get hit the play in and, and miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, obviously, like we've talked about it before, I don't think the Bulls were a lock to get that six seed. Um, they they almost missed it last year. I mean, basically, a lot of these they they won two games against the Cavs down the stretch. Uh, they stole two games against them, and that helped them make the playoffs. So I'm not sure that I think you know the Cavs moved out of this group. I think they're still in this group, but I do think they've moved to the top of it because Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, um, you know, they really missed somebody who could just like take over in late game scenarios. They didn't have anybody to help Garland take pressure off of him and just score baskets. And I think that's where you saw them crumble uh, down the stretch and in late game scenarios, like these bulls games were close and then DeMar just beat them. And now I think they have, they have a guy who can, you know, not only go, you know, punch for punch with DeMar, in Donovan Mitchell, but they've also got, you know, great players to play off of him too. So it's not, I think like, you know, we talk about continuity at the bulls. I think they will really complement each other, Garland and, uh, and Donovan, uh, in a way that makes them both better. And, and that makes them both more dangerous. I'm not sure that they're in a higher tier than the bulls. I think they probably, you know, like if you put this team in a seven game series right now, would you take the, the Cavs over the bulls? I'm not positive. I think they, you know, I think it would be a really tough matchup, assuming full health like Rubio complicates things. I think you can play some really interesting three guard lineups um, and just like have a ton of really effective passers. Uh, you've got obviously two defensive acres back there to make up for a lot of those mistakes. But uh, I, I do think that they like whereas before did the did the Bulls beat them four times last year? Um, I think it was. Uh, either four or three um and now i feel like that's much closer to a two two season series yeah look the results in the regular season are somewhat marred as well by the fact that players were in and out of the rotation whether it was because of injury or COVID or whatever the situation was last season so i don't know how much stock i put it in into it more generally but the bulls were well positioned to to guard a team like the Cavs last season for the reason you know the fact that they, they had that one playmaker and when you have that in, in, in um, you know, whichever team you are, like it was, it was the same thing with the Hawks. Like you could, you could send a, an Io or a Caruso or a Lonzo to really guard that player, and then basically lock down that player, and in doing so, shut down the, that team's entire offense. So that was successful against the teams like Atlanta and, and, and Cleveland for that reason. But now that you're adding in Donovan Mitchell into that, you, it kind of removes that ability, I suppose or reduces it um, somewhat because now you have that other playmaker on the court who can damage you if, you, if you're if you you know putting all your attention into a garland, for example. The ball swings now to Donovan Mitchell rather than Larry Markman. It's just a completely different proposition. So in that sense, like, I don't know, Will, like, there's nine teams, I think, who are playoff caliber teams in the East, but there's obviously only eight spots in the East. Like, one of Toronto, Cleveland, Atlanta, Brooklyn, or Chicago isn't making the playoffs. That's just the reality of the situation. So um, if we're assuming Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, and Miami are in, um, whether it's whether they're, top, they're the top four or not, like I'm assuming those four teams are in, which means yeah, the five teams that I mentioned, Toronto, Cleveland, Atlanta, Brooklyn, and Chicago, four of them are getting in. Who, who, which four is it going to be? Uh, to your question is like, how do the Bulls match up with the Cavs? I, I don't think we can look back to previous seasons or at least last seasons as a fact similar to say this is something that makes sense or the Bulls 
played well against the Cavs last season or matched up well against them for X reasons. I think that calculus has now completely changed because of the, the arrival of Donovan Mitchell. Like it, it just does. And, and that and matters completely different. It shifts the lineup, the lineups you play, it shifts the lineups that you have to get, or the way you have to guard. And in that sense, like it's put the Bulls in a precarious position in, in the sense that you have to choose between who do you want to close the game, Alex Caruso or Patrick Williams. And in this instance, it can't be a situation where maybe Pat is playing over Vooch and you're playing small because the Cavs are huge. So you, you can't have Vooch off the floor in that scenario. Vooch has to be on the court. And no, I mean, no matter what, like the Bulls are going to be small against the Cavs because they run that two guard, a two big lineup, but you, you can't have Vooch off the floor in that instance. So who you, who you're taking off? Like, is it Pat or is it Caruso? I'm assuming you live in Lonzo in the court to guard one of Garland or Mitchell. You probably need Caruso on the court to guard one of those players as well. So that means Patrick Williams is not closing games in the playoffs against the Cavs, as an example, which then leaves, I guess, one of, or, or you, you've basically then got a decision of, like, out of DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic, who is guarding uh, Mobley and, and Jared Allen. Like, presumably, Vuce is guarding Jared Allen. So in that case, like, all right, who's guarding, who, who's guarding um, Evan Mobley? Is it DeMar? And, and Zach on a quarrel or something like that. And maybe that'll work this season because Evan Mobley's just in year two and, and maybe his offensive game won't be refined to a point that he's getting or can really expose you in that sense. Or maybe the Cavs more generally are just not giving him the ball because you've got Mitchell and Garland taking up so much of the offense. So maybe it won't matter this season coming up. But And, and conversely as well, like the, the, the Cavs would have choices to make given that their backcourt doesn't have a lot of defense in it and, he, and he's small, but... I don't know. I, I would actually favor the Cavs in a series, a seven-game series. I, I, I would feel adamant about that. I think their defense would 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 still hold up given how good Jared Allen and Mobley are or were last season. Like I expect their defense to get even better between those two, uh, not to mention the fact that they've got that added playmaker. So I would actually choose the Cavs in that scenario, and maybe I'm being a Bulls hater in that sense. At least some people I'm sure will say that will, but I, I feel pretty confident that the Cavs would be better than the Bulls in that scenario. Well, I'm glad you pointed out that it's not just like Cavs from last year plus Donovan equals Bulls from last year, because I think like this is something that uh, that I think Bulls fans kind of fell back on was like if they just keep games close, Demar's going to beat them in the fourth quarter. So even if it was that scenario, like as I said before, that is different now. I mean, Donovan, you're not just going to win games because you've got Demar now. Like the the Cavs can strike back a little bit. Um, but it's not just late game stuff, as you said, I mean, this changes the entire structure of those series. And, um, I do think it's just an interesting way to look at it. I'm not really sure, you know, how that would work out, but I also, and maybe we can use this as a transition into the way that the bulls have gone about, you know, their, uh, transition from, you know, the Garpax era into AK taking over and some of the decisions and moves that they've made, um, of just like, continuity and i think when you bank on continuity and even though i was kind of like talking myself into it the other week here like there has to be room for improvement and i think we've identified and isolated a few ways that the bulls can be better zach was the the most recent example that we talked about i think he has scope to grow patrick williams i think has a little bit less immediate scope to grow than some people might think and You can call me a hater for that, but like, I just don't see him turning into Kawhi next year. Hopefully he's better. I don't think he's going to be like an all-star player. Um, And then health, which also like 
is a tough thing to bank on given this team's injury history with the Cavs, It's like, you have all of this scope to grow because everybody is 20, like Donovan Mitchell's your oldest core player now at 25. Yeah. He turned 25 <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. So like, I just, the, the space to grow and like continuity on their end, obviously they're making the big swing here, but like the idea of synergy and growth from within, I think now takes on a new meaning for them in a way that it can't for the bulls just because like if anything, just because the age, but more so that because like now they're kind of a an asset poor older team, and mm-hmm. so maybe they have like a year or two of being you know of edging out the Cavs. But I think after that, it becomes uh, a bigger question, and there will have to be some you know decisions whether it's breaking things down or continuing to to go all in around the current group. Um, I just I do think it's an interesting uh, sort of philosophy on team building. And the main thing is just where, what was your starting point? And so what I wanted to talk about was like where the bulls started their rebuild was basically this position of having just their own picks. They traded Jimmy Butler. They got Zach Levine, which was great. They got Chris Dunn and marketing, or they got the pick that turned into marketing. Mm-hmm. So basically like if you, if you um, juxtapose that with what the jazz have done, they've traded like their entire roster and just loaded up on picks, whereas the Bulls traded one player. And I think that really is just a tough way to do it. And that's kind of what I mean by like, you really have to go all in because now they're kind of in this position where, and and here's the other part, is that you need to hit on these picks. Like that that's a big thing too. And obviously, yeah. you know, Wendell is gone. Uh, Lowry is gone. He's been moved twice now. Um, Kobe White is like, you know, on his last legs here with the Bulls. It's like kind of all down to Pat in terms of, over the five years that the Bulls were tanking, did they get any good players? And the Cavs, they got, they hit on Garland, one pick ahead of Kobe. Mm-hmm. They absolutely smashed hit on Mobley. Mm-hmm. And they traded, you know, quietly in this like three or four team mega yeah. deal with the Nets. Yeah. They got Jared Allen for one pick and he turned into an all-star. So yeah. they've just done a really good job. And I think that puts them in this position where now you can put the chips in. Whereas with mm-hmm. the Bulls, it's just a tough spot to be in where I think this is kind of the the other point that I wanted to make today was that like when you are rebuilding and you've like made this decision to now go all in, you kind of have three picks to trade and you can throw in some swaps or some young players like the jazz or the, um, the wolves did four picks plus swaps, like three first round picks is kind of like the, the core deal. That's going to be the basis of any star deal that you make. And if yeah. you look at it, the, the Wolves got Gobert with their three picks. The Hawks got DeJounte Murray with their three picks. The Cavs now get Donovan Mitchell with their three picks. And with the Bulls' three picks, they got uh, Damar and Vooch. And I don't think that, like, it's, I don't think that, like, any of that is necessarily bad or wrong. Like, I don't think it's necessarily worked out in some ways as well as they would have hoped. Um, certainly worked out better in some cases, Damar being that case. But, those were the the picks that they could throw out. And now they're kind of out of assets to try to go get more players. And they're also older and the core around them wasn't as good in the first place. And so for me, it just comes back to this idea that I think the Cavs are operating from this position of strength that is not where the Bulls started their rebuild. And I think they it makes me feel like they rushed it a little bit. Definitely, 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 definitely. I could rant on this for a long while, but... And, and look, I want to, but well, can I tell the people about FOCO first, please? Because I, I'm, I'm going to go on a, a long rant and 
I want to tell our, tell our friends about our friends in FOCO first because I feel like I'm going to bang on about this one because I want to turn, turn the conversation to a bull's perspective more generally. But like I said, I, I don't think I can sum that up in 30 seconds. So let me tell you <laughs> first about, about FOCO. And Will, you know I am a big Bears fan. We, we established this on the podcast last Huge year. Bears fan. And, and down, do you know maybe. what happens? And do you know what happened thereafter? Justin Fields, what did he throw? 14 from 16, something like that. Three three touchdowns. Is that what they call them? Three scores, zero turnovers. Bears beat whoever they so play. So you figured <laughs> out how to read a box score. <laughs> yeah. I've, I haven't worked out how to read a, uh, a baseball box score yet. Like what the hell does an RBI mean and a, an LF? you or any of those other freaking acronyms. I'm not a baseball guy, but I am a big football guy. That's the point, Will. Do you know what happened? After our podcast last week, I jumped up at foco.com. I went on there, checked out their sports merch, checked out all the collectibles that they have. They've got all your um, Chicago sports teams covered. I actually went on there and bought a, 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 a Bears hoodie. And then, you know what happened, Will? Justin Fields went out there and threw out whatever he did. 14 from 16, the Bears won. He 300 yards, whatever the situation was. Can't remember exact stats at this point. But the point was, Justin Fields dominated. The Bears got a win in preseason. And I'm ascribing that all to my purchase at foco.com. So essentially what I'm that saying, Will. you have to buy a Foco merch every single Sunday before the Bears play, <laughs> just so you know. And I will do that. I will do that for the betterment of the Bears. But I'm also asking everyone tuning in now, if you are a Bears fan, a Bulls fan, Cubs, Sox, Sky, whatever you may be, jump on foco.com. Enter the promo code CHGO for 10% off your purchase on any pre-sale item. When you do so, you'll get 10% off. But as as we've sort of established here, your favorite Bulls, or not even your favorite Bulls team, your favorite Chicago team is going to win is going to win their respective games. We've proven that with me and the Bears last week. I'm presumably going that's going to happen again. I'm going to go on foco.com later on today. Are the Bears playing this week, Will? Are they do they have a game upcoming? Okay, well, nope. maybe I'll, maybe I'll skip this week. Football starts but, next week. All right, well, there you go. Well, look, if, if you're you a Bears fan, if you, want, if, you want, if you want to get some merch, jump on there before the, the next Bears game. Use CHGO promo code for 10% off, and your Bears team will win that game. If you're a Sky fan, if you want to get onto foco.com, if you're going into game three and you want Sky to win, get on foco.com. Use promo code CHGO for 10% off, and the Sky will win. It's, it's, it's just been established. So this is just the rule down going forward. Jump onto foco.com, use promo code CHGO for 10, 10% off all pre-sale items. All right. Now, coming back to what we were talking about, ranting about the bulls. So this this is the interesting part for me, Will. Like, and, and coming back to a, a, an item that or a, you know, a point that I raised before about how I always view things from a bull's prism, like immediately my thought around this was just like – Coming back to this offseason, the fact that the Bulls inactivity, like it, it, it's nice to, to to have your team involved in transactions and to make big moves or even small moves to, for, for that matter. Like I wasn't small move would have been great. Yeah, like, any move would have been great. Love a small move. A small move, like uh, well, I mean, Drummond and uh, Dragic definitely. Uh, Those don't count as small moves. I'm sorry. No, there's a smaller than a small move, but nonetheless, like I, I guess my point is like I. It doesn't always make sense to make a move just for the sake of making a move. And that's certainly the true when other teams around you are making moves. Like you shouldn't just assume that other teams are making moves, therefore you have to make one. Like ultimately we'll see how things play out. And maybe maybe the continuity angle is the right one. Time will tell. But I'm not so I'm not I'm not really concerned about that aspect of it. Like 
the fact that other teams are making moves and the Bulls aren't. But why that why that does kind of matter is the fact that the Bulls have outgoing picks. We've touched on it before. We've alluded to that um, the fact that the you know the Bulls' twenty twenty three draft pick is going to Orlando. Whatever that situation may be, so long as it's not a top four pick, then the the Magic are getting a Bulls pick. Uh, similarly, in 2025, as part of the DeMar DeRozan trade, the Bulls gave up a future first-round pick. It is to, it is top 10 protected in um, in year one and then top top eight for the next two seasons thereafter. But ultimately, they've given up another first there. They're not unprotected picks in the same way the Cavs have, have, have sent out picks, but they're still future first-round picks. So in, in that sense, like that's where the inactivity hurts the Bulls because you make trades like that where you give up conditional first-round picks that are somewhat protected. You do so with the, the idea in hand that you're going to continue to be better. The team that you're building is going to be a legitimate team, the one that's going to win 50, 55 games, whatever the situation may be. And in that instant, instance, ideally what you're giving up is a pick in the, say, 22 to 27 range. Like that's what you would hopefully be doing. So in 2023, like it, if the Bulls had continued to add pieces this offseason, maybe at the past deadline, whatever the situation may have been, maybe in this upcoming deadline, they've still got that opportunity to to upweight their team in that sense and, and add pieces. But you would ultimately be giving the, the Orlando Magic, you know, a, 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 lowly, a lowly first round pick maybe like the 25th pick, let's say, if you're towards the top of your conference because you're adding pieces. You've added Demar, you added Vooch, you're adding other pieces around them to, to Levine. But what we're looking at now is a situation where, as I mentioned before, there's five teams in the East, the, the, the Cavs, the Hawks, the Bulls, the Nets, and I'm forgetting one team now. But there's there's five teams vying for the final four spots in, in the playoffs in the East. And if the Bulls are, is unfortunately one of those unlucky teams that missed the playoffs, then the Bulls are potentially giving the, the Magic another lottery pick in that instance, which is extremely problematic. So what I'm, what I'm essentially saying, Will, is like your inactivity now potentially retroactively makes the moves that you've made previously look worse. Your inactivity now has, yeah, it's, it's, it's potentially going to hamper you in a lot of different ways. But if we're looking back on it, like I, I was a big proponent for the Vooch trade. And whilst I still think the way people talk about Vooch as a player is completely absurd, part of the reason why I I was okay with that move was my thinking was, all right, cool, it's only two future first-round picks. Wendell Carter had run his course. He's, you know, he's going to be a good player, but he's not going to be a star. But those two future first-round picks, ultimately, they shouldn't matter too much if you continue down the path of doing everything you can to put the best product on the court. The Bulls haven't done that. They've stopped short of the line at that's in that sense because they haven't continued to add and because it doesn't seem like they will add because of the luxury tax, they're effectively making those outgoing picks, whether it's the picks in the Vooch trade or the picks in the DeRozan trade, they're ultimately going to make those picks better than what they previously could have been, which retroactively is going to make those deals look worse. So they've limited themselves in the now in terms of the team that they've put put on the court for this upcoming season. But in terms of the, their future assets and what those things may materialize to be, I think there's a chance this Vooch trade, and a lot of people don't like it now and, and consider it a mistake, but there's a, there's a real chance that it looks way worse going forward. And there's a real chance as well that the DeDorosan trade, whilst DeMar has been fantastic in U1 and I assume will be going forward as well, like they've potentially given up a, a lottery pick for DeMar as well. So I don't know. That's the frustrating part for me. Like 
your inactivity, like fine, you haven't gotten involved in a blockbuster trade, but by doing nothing, you, you're potentially making your future, your, your past moves look bad in the future. This is the point that I was trying to make so strongly around Rudy Gobert uh, trade rumor season, because I think it's true. And it kind of came off as though, like, my point was, if other teams are improving and you're not, they're passing you by. Um, by not doing anything, you're getting worse. And I think that's true. But when you put it into that perspective of like, you've already gone halfway in, you've dipped your toes into like giving up future assets. And those assets are okay to give up if it makes you good. So like you're saying, if by not continuing to do things that you need to do to be good, like, I don't know, going into the luxury tax or continuing to trade for good players when they become available or you know, doubling down and trading even more picks to ensure that you're good now and in the future. When you don't do those things, you get worse in the present. You get worse in the long term because you've gone in on two players that are 32 plus years old. And so the Bulls window to succeed is short, right? Like it's DeMar's prime. It's the rest of DeMar's prime. And who knows how long that is. But the point is, that is the window. And so if you aren't doing everything you can to maximize that window, then, you know, it's just the the picks that you give up are going to be worse. And as other teams get better, it becomes harder to win in that window. And so, you know, I agree with you with the fact that like giving up two future first round picks, like if, if the clock on future first round picks ended after this upcoming season and the bulls had to give up like the 12th pick, you know, it would not be the end of the world, but the fact that they went halfway in again and, you know, basically made a bad trade and I shouldn't say a bad trade, but added uh, an additional piece back from magic in Alfa Camino, which they had to then dump on the Spurs and in doing so had to attach that 2025 pick to get the rights to pay for DeMar DeRozan, who was a free agent at the time. Mm. Um, it just makes that move look worse. And yep. so I it, it it in some ways it makes me more frustrated that they haven't done anything. In some ways I'm kind of glad that they aren't continuing to double down because it seems like that window is just getting smaller and smaller and so by giving up more and more future draft capital you're just making life even harder for yourself down the road. So it's an interesting dilemma and I I would still probably lean like you've already gone in, you got to do it. But, you know, the Cavs are their their young core is like twenty four on average, probably even younger. Um, you know the the seventy sixers have Embiid, who's better than anybody on the Bulls. The Nets are have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving until they don't, and the Bucks have Giannis until he decides to come to the Bulls in twenty twenty six. So like all these teams are as good. They have these stars, or they're continuing to find ways to get better, and. Like I said, the Bulls did make their move and you have to applaud them for that. Like, I'm glad that they made the moves. Maybe they they shouldn't have, they should have gone a different direction or they should have gone in on different players. Fine. But I appreciate the, the, the swing towards getting out of just like being the seventh worst or the, the, yeah, the seventh worst team in the league. So I appreciate that. But I think just the fact that they haven't continued to go all in, not only does it give me a little bit of FOMO as far as like, oh, I want my team to be involved in these big acquisitions and make big swings and always be in the news for like, you know, all this stuff. Um, now they're also just like continuing this backslide uh, where, you know, maybe they top out as the 
third or fourth seed last season if everything broke right. Um, I don't think they were ever going to finish the season as the first seed. But like now the ceiling is a little bit lower because it's not just like, oh, can you still win 45 games? It's like you've got two more two more games that you or you've got four games against the Cavs and not all four of them are guaranteed wins this season. Um, yeah. And these teams in the East are just going to continue to beat up on each other. And so, you know, a 45 season might be great, but I think that's becoming like a little bit harder to see now with just the the strength of the East. Hmm. Well, look, I mean, you, you made a comment there around, and this was the, the point that really stuck with me in, in your soliloquy there, like, but that the previous administration was very good at get, making sure that the Bulls were the, well, I was going to say the seventh worst team in the East, but that's not necessarily true. They were, they were worse than that, but ultimately result in a situation where they were picking seven each year. It kind of feels they like were, they had the worst combined record over that five year period. I mean, they were yeah. the worst team, but they just got unlucky in the draft. And I, I think that's, that's part of it. Like I, I, you, you have to hit on these picks. You cannot go halfway in because you're not guaranteed to hit on all of them. Unfortunately, no, they didn't no, no really question. hit on any. No, no, no question. But ultimately, like the result was, you're, you're picking seven year on year on year. It kind of feels like what Acme have done at this point is almost flip that in the sense that. The Bulls, you know, from a draft perspective, at least, uh, uh, you know, uh, selection point of view, though, the seventh worst team. It kind of feels like now, like their their medium outcome in the East is to be the seventh best team in the East. So yes, you you you've gone in, and I like like you, I supported the Demar deal, I supported the the Vooch trade, and and, and the, at the time they all, they all made sense to me. Um. It was conditional, like I said before, that you, you it, for these to really work, you, you needed to continue to make sure that you're were doing all you can to make the, the team better around it because of the fact that you owed those first picks, but there was scope for that to, to work out. But now it kind of feels like there isn't that scope for it to work out as such because you haven't gone in and made those moves on the periphery. Like we've spent all offseason talking about the fact that they approached this offseason with them being very, very coy and using the mid-level exception. And if you're going to go in a situation where you're not prepared to use all of your assets, whether it's not prepared to use all of your mid-level exception or you use your, you know, part of your biannual exception on Tristan Thompson last season, therefore it doesn't, you know, you don't have that option to use it this off-season or whatever the situation may be. If you're not doing all you can to, for, you know, to make moves around the periphery, like forget about blockbusters and making deals like that, or you know, having FOMO in, in relation to not getting involved in a Donovan Mitchell trade, or you know, something even lesser like um, a Dejounte Murray trade. Like, if you're not even making moves that are, you know, bolstering your your general rotation, like like we talked about, like using your full mid level on someone like. Um, and Isaiah Hartenstein or something like that, or, or being more active in the trade market. Like we, we spent hours upon hours last season, whether it was on CHD or Bulls HQ, talking about whether the Bulls should be training Patrick Williams to solidify this current core. Like if you're not going all in or doing everything you can to bolster your current roster around the group that you've put together, then ultimately it will make those future assets that you've sent out look worse. And you're going to limit yourself in the now, you're going to limit yourself in the future. And because I haven't gone all in, um, and I'm not suggesting they go all in by trading away 27th pick. Uh, they're, they're, they're picking 27 or they're picking 29. I'm not necessarily suggesting that, but if you're not even going to, if you're not even going to entertain the idea of using your full mid-level exception, then there's no way this team is going to entertain the idea of giving up future first-round picks as well. So, I guess my point is they're not going all in, whatever that situation looks like, whether it's future first or using other assets. 
And because of that, they've, they've, they've put a ceiling on themselves. Like there's a chance and, and, and a play here where they maybe are the, the fourth or fifth best team. Like maybe it breaks in, in, in a way where they can be that. But I think the more likely outcome is the Bulls are, you know, fighting for seventh or eighth, or maybe they are the team that misses out. Like I said before, there's five teams vying for the, the final four spots in the East. And I think the Bulls have just as good a chance to miss the playoffs next season or this upcoming season as they do to make it. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. And I, I think like the other way to say this is that like, you know, they're probably ceiling for this upcoming season was fourth or fifth seed. Right. I think that was yeah. like the lofty expectations. Um, and maybe that still is the case, but it just got that much harder to get there. Yeah. Like it was it's, already it's, very slim odds. And possible. now it's, it's just yeah. even, it's even harder. And yeah. the one sort of, you know, optimistic or positive lens that I want to throw on this is that like, I do think there's value in uh, sitting back and observing the field a little bit. Like they do have this shorter window than teams like, um, you know, the Hawks and now the Cavs, maybe even um, the Timberwolves too, just given the fact that like Anthony Edwards is so young, they do have a shorter window than those teams, but they still have some assets uh, as far as draft picks. They, you know, they will need to develop Kobe and Io and Dalen Terry and Patrick, and maybe those guys start to hit, um, or maybe they package any or all of them for another star. Uh, I do think like observing the landscape and before going all in again could be you know, a good way to operate. And basically like the idea there is that like they they may not be done. It seems like they kind of are, at least for this summer, it seems like they've made their moves and that they're going to continue on with this group. But, you know, if things aren't going right, like they have to come to this, to this reality at some point. And maybe that's at the trade deadline, maybe it's uh, next summer, but uh, this season I think is going to tell a lot. And I don't think these trades are going to stop. Like, teams are now trading 25 year olds who have four years left on their contract for draft picks. Like these trades are going to continue to happen, whether players ask for them or not. And so, you know, as they wait every year, they'll be able to go out another year with more draft picks. Um, Again, they've got less time to be able to throw something together because of Damar and Vooch's age. But uh, this landscape is not over. I think more trades like this will happen. And that's why I said like at some point there's going to be like four or five teams making all the picks in the first round because, you know, maybe Washington just decides we've had enough of Bradley Bill, Bradley Beal, or, you know, a new front office comes in and tears it down in, you know, some other random NBA city. So these things happen. I don't think it's like necessarily doom and gloom, um, but I do think the bulls are still, like they've they've gone down a road and they need to continue down that road before they can make any other decisions. Like I don't think, oh, the Cavs got Donovan Mitchell. Now the Bulls need to blow it up. Obviously, like they've got two picks, you know, out the door. They can't do that this they year. No. Um, but I, I still think that they've already started down this path and they need to see it through. Now, whether they're willing to like go full steam ahead, we'll see. They didn't do that this summer. But I don't think that precludes them from continuing to make moves in the future. So hopefully they do that. Maybe continuity will be the key and Zach will become better and Damar will replicate and Vooch's three-point percentage will go up and Dale and Terry and Patrick Williams will turn into all-stars and all the good things. But um, (laughs) it doesn't get easier. There's a handful of teams at the very top and there's a handful of teams at the very bottom and everybody in the middle is really good. And it's going to be very competitive out there. So 
winning is not easy. It never was, but it just keeps getting harder. Yeah, look, I, I personally, I wouldn't be putting my stock in Patrick William and <laughs> Terry becoming all-stars and that being the way that the Brawls propel themselves up the standings. Um, just, just you know, people won't be surprised to hear that from myself, but uh, I, w- I would like some more assurity in that sense. But like, that's the irony in this situation. Like now, and it's kind of ridiculous actually. Like, and I feel for Pat in this scenario, like he was, the pressure was already on him and it will remain on him given that like it'll always be there on him given that he was a you know a top four pick so in that sense there'll always be expectations there'll always be pressure but because the bulls effectively haven't done anything and have and basically have told the world and have told their you know their own players that this is going to have to happen via internal development our ownership doesn't want to pay the tax we're not allowed to add you know players here here and there if this is going to be the team then it, it requires internal development and and that may happen like i Iowa was amazing in his rookie season and, and potentially, you know, has a lot more to give. Same, same thing with Pat, but like there's the, there's no maybes anymore with those guys. Like it has to happen if the Bulls want to take that next step, particularly as DeMar and, and Vooch sort of phase out and age out. It, it has to happen now. Like we, we can't, I, I, you know, Matt and Dave, uh, when was it? Maybe a week ago were mocking me the other week in terms of the sense that, you know, Pat had until his age 23 season or, you know, his fifth year in the league to, to to really make it or break it. Like, no, like the time is now. Like, but if you want to win basketball games with this current core and Pat is part of that, then this has to happen now, which is shitty that the Bulls have put him in this situation where he has to go and be really, really damn effective right now. That doesn't mean he has to be a star right now, but he has to probably be a star role player or a high level role guy. Like that has to happen now. Same thing with Dale and Terry and Io and these guys. Like it can't be a situation where they have a, a slumping sophomore season, or you know Dale and Terry has a slow season, or Kobe White has a slow season. Like the, the Bulls aren't in that position anymore. Like the, these guys need to turn up and they need to you know help um, you know raise the Bulls ceiling, like you, you or, or raise their floor at least. You're not making any big uh, big time deals. You haven't added any um, players on the periphery. You need internal development. That has to happen now, and, and in that sense, it always bothers me when teams put the put the young guys in these situ- in these situations, trying to advance the timeline or trying to advance their their skill building. In that sense, um, so I feel for those guys, but ultimately, that's the position we're in. So let's see what happens. I think the one last note I have is that, like, you know, if they want all of, all of this is true, like as you said, if they want to win. And maybe the idea is to just like get back to the playoffs and have the season they did last year and be competitive and have fun and like hopefully don't don't go fizzling out the way they did last year. But I think, you know, it could have been more competitive had the Bulls been healthy. But I think to your point, the pressure is now on them regardless of what their their motives were because they had such a good season. They started so hot. So whether or not they believe that the pressure is on Patrick Williams and Dale and Terry and Io, it is. That's the expectation now from the fan base and from the team. Like they, they have winning aspirations now. Um, so whether the front office or ownership like actually desires to be a true contender, like that's kind of the trajectory that this team has set themselves up for. And um, I don't know that that's realistic. I mean, I, I don't think it is with this core, but the pressure is now on them, and it is a little bit unfair. But that's kind of the reality. So um, crazy, crazy moves in the East. Um, in the Eastern landscape and just like in the NBA in general, like massive earth shattering moments today, really fun way to kick off September uh, basketball season is I would say 
two weeks away, like uh, training camp and media days will be at the end of September. So it's happening. It's starting and it's going to be fun, you know, regardless of how the Bulls do. I always just love watching them compete. So I'm looking forward to it. But um, Mark will wrap it up here and there will be plenty more to talk about as far as where the Bulls fit into the East as the weeks go on here. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, make sure to sign up for points bet using code CHGO to get those two risk-free bets up to $2,000.